First, just uh, for me personally, guys, thank you. Uh, you guys were awesome this year. You know, for me coming in, the main thing for me was trying to build a culture with you guys in a short amount of time. I just wanted to treat you guys how I wanted to be treated as a player when I played. I truly, genuinely, seriously, guys, care about each and every one of you. On the field, off the field, tomorrow, next week, and next month, next year, five years, a decade from now. My number's not going to change. For those of you that get an opportunity at the next level, um, all I can say is, man, recircuit your mind. I don't forget that chip on your shoulder and what it took you to get to this point. I right, go back in time and remember when nobody, nobody freaking gave you a chance. You know, you may have been a stud in high school and college, and then you're in that space. Don't forget how you got to those points where you were the best. Right, sometimes we take that for granted. You can't go through the motions to be great. And if you're back, let's go. Let's go, man. Let's ride. It's a lot of good things going for you guys, man. I know the journey sucks. It's hard sometimes. You hit a lot of pitfalls. A lot of you guys are deserving. A lot of you guys are deserving. We are a playoff team, guys. We are a championship team. No, it just fell short. You guys did a hell of a job. It breaks my heart that you guys have to go home tomorrow. It really does. But seven and three, playing a great in front of a great fan base. Uh, you guys had it made on that sense, man. That was fun. Fans are awesome. City of St. Louis embraced us. And uh, that's exciting environment to play in, man. And last, man, I'll just leave you with this. Um, just attack your goals like your life depends on it, man. Attack your goals like your life depends on it. It's really good for me, guys. You know, I'm disappointed. We are a playoff team. But let's be real, okay? Two weeks ago, we had our opportunity to grasp this thing. I mean, it is what it is. Love you guys, man. Seriously. You guys are family. Welcome to the XFL Insider Podcast. Today you have your host Matthew, Drew, and Jake in the house. We're going to discuss the XFL Divisional Championship games as well as the Week 10 games of the regular season. How are you two feeling today? Any comments before we get rolling? Playoffs. Games that matter. Finally. Again. Or depending on how you view it games that don't matter oh my gosh here we have two <laughs> great opinions again. yes uh, i love it we got the pro xfl playoff approach and then we have the anti xfl playoff approach i look forward to hearing you guys both speak civilly um about the matter <laughs> all right as we go i just want to talk about divisional championship games are this weekend saturday and sunday we'll talk more about when and where here in just a bit um, don't forget about the XFL championship game on May 13th. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it's in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. That game will take place on ABC and ESPN both. As we go forward, not a lot of news. I just wanted to bring up the TV numbers, see if the guys had anything they wanted to bring up about them as well. It's basically staying the same from what we saw most of the season, in my opinion. 
We do have a little bit of a decline with the Seattle-Vegas game, but otherwise it looks pretty good across the board, and we're beating the USFL. Now, this isn't a competition to me. These are just things that people are arranging for success of the sport. So, guys, what do you think? I think uh, when you're when you're talking about viewership between the XFL and the USFL right now, it, I wouldn't say necessarily that XFL is beating USFL. The total total viewership is right around the same. USFL had both a both the most and least watched game this weekend. So I think the positive spin on this is just that spring spring football is getting the attention that it needs. Everybody wants it to succeed. You know, a lot of a lot of people act like they don't, but now a lot of people are coming around to it. So, you know, not not a huge deal. The Vegas and uh, the Vegas and Seattle game was not the least watched game of the year. So it's not like a, a massive disappointment or anything like that. It's just the the ebbs and flows of the season. I think I think most people who who really read the the XFL's little uh, tiebreaker sheet and then looked at the standings really knew that Seattle didn't have to score 34 points or or anything like that. Uh, the differential really came into play there. So, you know, the, there was a lot of confusion. I think the XFL and ESPN both could have done better to clear that up. And that pro honestly, the confusion probably led to some of the uh, fall off. If you want to even call it that in terms of viewership, in my opinion, but that's just me. Okay. Well, as we move forward, we'll see what happens with it. Um, I'm sure some of it may drop off a little just because of some pissed off fans, but we'll see. <laughs> Uh, guys in the news department, do you have anything else you want to bring up? I know, I know we're talking, this is probably the third to last episode of the podcast in terms of weekly sessions. So just want to throw that out there. You know, it's been a pretty quiet week, really, or quiet weekend rather in terms of news. I mean, last week you had the big news that, uh, Chris Smith had passed and, uh, it was cool to see ESPN, you know, give him, his moment during the the Seattle and Vegas game just to you know identify what happened and put it out there is a pretty warming moment in the post game interview with uh, Stormy Bonantoni and uh, Coach Hazlitt talking about him. So, uh, but you know it seems like news kind of died down a little bit and everything leveled out heading into the into the playoff weekend, Suns, whatever playoff controversy you want to call it. With that note, <clears throat> I guess we'll move forward to the game summaries for the week. Now, for the last portion of the show, Jake Tribby with Fantasy Points will be joining us to discuss the game matchups within Divisional Championship, as well as the betting lines and some XFL fantasy aspects. We don't normally cover fantasy on here, but, I mean, we love it and we'd love to talk about it, as well as the betting aspects. I know this week's is going to be a little bit different because we know – a little bit more what we're looking at in terms of team-wise. So, as we move forward, let's go ahead and roll into the game summaries. Our first game, and Jake's favorite here, uh, <laughs> the Orlando Guardians lost 28 to 53 to the St. Louis Battlehawks. That game was in the Battle Dome in St. Louis. 
the Battlehawks put up a hell of a game, but it still wasn't enough to make it into the playoffs. Jake, you got any commentary you want to add? Uh, the fact that the Battlehawks, you know, obviously wanted to at least go out with the go big, go home mentality. Um, I mean, I shouldn't be pissed off the way things ended up, considering it was only the whole tiebreaker thing was determined by five points. whoop de doo But, I, I mean... And, and I've realized that it's not just me that's been criticizing the uh, way that the uh, uh, playoff qualification thing worked out. Obviously, the even the media was confused about how the tiebreaker system would because ESPN only detailed one tiebreaker they didn't go through all five they went through one that was only determined by one they confused their audience on that and then now they got a but it's not just people that you know fans that are pissed off there's people that are work that like us that work in the media that the league was never straightforward with us about and in considering they only gave these details two days before the game. So there's a big issue with that. This system of playoff qualification doesn't work, needs to be restructured uh, structured the next year. While I'm at that, one of the big names that covers the XFL, Mike Mitchell, actually, believe, actually agrees that this system does not work. Um, and maybe this is just something that they just need to look into in the off season. They got plenty of time to uh, restructure things, but the way things really should have been done is the winner of each division automatically get in, and then you have two at-large positions, meaning Seattle and St. Louis would have got in, not Houston, Arlington. Because, I mean, I'm sorry, it's embarrassing that you see a 4-6 and six team in the playoffs when you've got three teams that actually did well and actually gave a crap about their games, only to have one, the Battlehawks miss out on it. So, and Mike Mitchell's been pushing for saying, hey, this, this, this wasn't right. The, the, and even then, the format for the playoffs should have been determined three or four weeks ago, not two, three days before all the, you know, these games to determine who was going to get in. Big issue there. But outside of that, game-wise, amazing. McCarron, you know, played like his uh, future career played on it. Hopefully there were some NFL scouts paying attention. I don't want him to leave. I would love for him to come back. But I obviously... I mean, he, he played like his life was at stake and got the win. And, you know, it is not just him. I mean, the, he had some very reliable people on the offense, too. Uh, and to be fair, Dormady didn't have too bad of a game. It's just, you know, dealing with the Battlehawks defense, they weren't able to put up a game like 
one of our colleagues was thinking they were going to put up. So, and the fact that the way that um, uh, McCarron had uh, played in that game, obviously, and we'll discuss that later considering the Player of the Week honors, but, I mean... I'm I'm just gonna stop now because I I'm already gone to the point of long-winded. So I guess with that said, I'll uh, I'll touch on the game first. <laughs> uh, the game. So obviously AJ played out of his mind, uh, especially the second half. The first half, really, between the two teams, was extremely entertaining and highly competitive. Whatever happened at halftime in both locker rooms probably could be like poster child material of what you should do at halftime for the battle Hawks and what you shouldn't do at halftime for the guardians. I mean, the play just completely nosedived from the guardians went way up off the scale for the battle Hawks. They turned it up an extra notch and really deserved everything that they got out of that game. Uh, one of the coolest uh, plays of the year, the Blandino got called again and this time it scored a touchdown so that was cool to see. It's nice. Both, uh, I mean, the Blandino has a hundred percent effectiveness rate so far. Gained well over a hundred yards, close to 150 yards, if I'm not mistaken, and a touchdown on two attempts. So uh, who knows? The the kicker might end up earning a quarterback contract. If this keeps up. But uh, I mean, really good game. McCarron outplayed what Dormady did earlier this season with a five touchdown performance, tossing six. So, you know, easy, easy game of the year uh, perf- or performance of the year, rather, out of the quarterback there. In terms of whether so Jake mentioned whether or not uh, McCarron would come back. McCarron strikes me as just a good old boy. Wanting to play football like he's made his millions in the NFL and he just wants to play until he's done. So I don't know that he would necessarily go back to the NFL unless it's a starting position. And I, to be honest, I don't, I don't really see see that a whole lot. I mean, he obviously is far and away the best quarterback in the in the XFL. I don't think that's even debatable. Uh, I mean, second place, you're talking an argument between Tiamu and and Danucci. But really, I don't see McCarron going back to the NFL. I think he's going to be here for the long haul. I think he wants his kids to see him play and see him be successful. And I think that's part of a lesson that he's teaching his kids. Uh, He seems like a really humble guy. So, but that's just my opinion on it. Uh, I I think when, I think when it comes to that scenario, I actually agree with you, Jiru. Uh, If he did somehow go back to, uh, the NFL, he'd probably be writing Pine. I don't see him playing at all if he goes back. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's an important thing for him is he his kids. Uh, that was that was one of the big motivators in that first game interview, uh, you know, after they pulled off the comeback against San Antonio in the dome, not the battle dome in the uh, Alamo dome. Was, you know, I wanted I wanted my kids wanted to watch me play. He said they came to me, he said, Daddy, we won't watch you play. And he basically made it happen. So uh, I think I think there's a little bit more at play for him than there is, you know, for other people in terms of emotional 
reasons for being there. When it comes to the playoffs, uh, I am way, way on the other end of the spectrum from, from Mr. Jake here. Uh, I'm very much in the camp of you can't take your ball and go home after the season's said and done if you didn't make it, if you didn't cut it for what you signed up for. St. Louis had a great season. They had a really good season. It came down to five points. It'd be like that sometimes. You didn't you didn't make it out of your conference. That's what that's the way it was designed from the very start. Everybody understood the rules, at least as far as if you were in the XFL. You know, maybe not the media types, obviously not the media types. Thanks, ESPN, for killing your own ratings. Uh, but I won't harp on that too much. Uh, you know, just di- in my opinion, just deal with it. In the NFL, you get losing teams in the in the playoffs as well. It's not like this is some new concept. Does Arlington deserve to be a playoff team by the letter of the law? Yes. In reality, probably not. After the season, more than open to seeing rules changed and things like that. But you're never going to hear me you know, gripe, moan, and complain because we played by the rules and lost. That's, to me, if you play by the rules and you lose, then suck it up, you know, better luck next year. Personally, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just hang out on this one. I don't really have an opinion, to be honest (laughs) with you. I mean, I'm happy with the results, regardless if Houston would have been in or not. Right. It's all about the XFL to me. And if this was the XFL Roughnecks podcast, I'm sure we would be (laughs) upset if our team didn't make it, but it's not. So, I mean, I agree with parts and aspects of what both of you say. My thing is, is like you say, Drew, the rules were set. Things were met. That's how things are. I mean, we're not going to change reality to please a few. I do feel like that things could improve, but that's something you do in the off season, And it's not something you rush to do to please a few talking heads. Now, in terms of the media, much of the alt media had these predictions correct such as us, such as Matty Fresh, such as uh, Mike Mitchell. A lot of these guys were working on this stuff, hand and foot, trying to get us the right info. And what we got came from them. And when it changed, we changed it. And, I mean, so I understand where you're coming from, Jake, on that aspect. That's what I'm going to preach here is people need to stop listening to ESPN in terms of a whole and gather their own research. It's just like news channels. Let's let's get our own news. Let's not take it all from one source. Um, right. that's, my, and, that's my opinion. And especially when it's something that is new, ESPN's not just going to like, for example, ESPN was on the Ocho or whatever, whatever ESPN network it was, had like the Cornhole <laughs> championships on. Right. They're not going in depth into into scenarios and, you know, point scoring and stuff like that for the Cornhole championships. They're probably getting maybe 100K viewers, if that. So what are like? What are you – if you're looking to ESPN for news, that's one thing. If you're looking to ESPN for information, you have to be very, very careful if it's not a statistical set of information. Boom. And that's when it. you're talking about playoffs and playoff scenarios, a lot of times playoff scenarios are very straightforward because there's a long season. There's a longer process than just 10 games with eight teams, and things are – more evenly figured out hell honestly in the past with with eight team setups or even 10 team setups things are played out 
pretty pretty straightforward and that you don't get into deep tiebreakers. This just happened to be two teams that were so evenly matched during the season that you got to that level of tiebreakers and it played out on the field. So, you know, ESPN really kind of just, you know, hung their or threw their hat out in the wind and said, uh, well, hopefully it doesn't get past tiebreaker four. Well, anybody with a brain saw that it was, you know, very possible that it was going to get past tiebreaker four. So bad on ESPN there, you know, all the way. I think they'll learn from that. I think a little bit more evaluation probably would have saved their cake, obviously, but I don't think that they ruined the cake or ruined the birthday party, so to speak. Uh, that, I mean, it, it is what it is moving forward, whether or not there's change. It's not really going to matter to ESPN. They're going to, they're probably going to have it called a little bit better next year. I would imagine it's probably also not going to make it to tiebreaker five or six next year. So I'm just going to add two more things. There's a reason why ESPN has the reputation of being the worldwide misleader in sports. Second point, I mean, good on Houston for getting in. It also helped that you guys had a pretty shitty division to begin with, with the terrible performance of your three other compadres within that conference, two of them in the same state. It was two of the best defenses in the league, though. I mean, it was, I mean, let's be real. It wasn't exactly a cakewalk, really, for anybody it not named D.C. And for D.C., it wasn't even a cakewalk. They have a lot of close wins that probably could have been losses. So overall, parity in the league is actually pretty good for as much as people crap on both sides. Granted, the offense was definitely not there in the South Division. The, the offense was way off the table. The talent level was pretty low on offensive side of the ball for most of the squads. The product definitely could have been a lot better in the South Division, but when you're playing against defenses like those, it's not exactly easy. Very good points, fellas. Very good. I mean, everything we're saying is shared testaments amongst the people that are fans of your team, my team, or the Battlehawks, whatever. Uh, I, I feel I feel you, Jake. I really do. Yeah, it, it does suck to be on the losing end of something as trivial as the fifth tiebreaker, especially by like five points. That's, I mean, it's really easy to feel snubbed. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, at least you have the same level of participation in the championship game and playoffs as everyone else. You can at least buy tickets. Like, if, if anybody on the Battlehawks is interested in being there, really, if anybody outside of the playoff teams is interested in being in the championship. That's what they have to resort to now because they didn't make it. So, I mean, and then, and then there's always those, the hope that uh, DC and Seattle will suck next year. So also facts who gets picked up for that, for the NFL. Nobody knows. Yep. We, we, we won't know until the playoffs. I mean, the, the championship games over with, we don't know when the date's actually going to start for them to start signing new contracts and whatnot. All I can say is they better not be one-year deals like they were this year. This year made sense for it to be one-year contracts because they were starting again from scratch. Next year, we need to be at least looking at two- to three-year contracts because one-year contracts year-to-year, like the USFL likes to do with 80% of their contracts, that's not Mm going to cut it in the XFL. No, but what I do agree with that the XFL has done is the flat pay 
for the for the players. I think that I think honestly that's a fair deal because everyone's getting the same opportunity. Everyone's you know they're they're falling into this bucket of trying to get back to the league, and they have to realize that they're at this point they're not really professional players. They're semi pro, so they're trying to work their way back to pro. But you know, making sixty thousand a year, maybe that number goes up if the XFL shows that it was profitable and shows uh, shows good futures in in terms of betting markets uh, for viewership and things like that. When the big picture bets come out, maybe maybe that's uh, a direction that they go. But I agree with you one hundred percent. They can't just stick one one year contracts on everybody. I think they've got to have multi year deals. But with that said, they have to have NFL clauses. So if someone wants to get picked up by the NFL, that's got to be allowed. That you cannot, you can't have somebody get called up by the NFL and say, "Oh, well, they're on contract. You have to wait." NFL. That's not how you continue to build off of the platform that XFL has built itself on to this point. And that's where I agree with you on there. For anything that it would kind, it would ha- almost have to exercise the set. If if there's going to be multiple year contracts. They definitely need to be exercising the same method as they used in the NHL, a two-way contract. So you could technically still be on contract with the XFL, but it would also allow for them to play up the team that they end up playing for, pay them major league pay, but then whenever they're on the bench long enough where they're just not in any use, then send them back to the XFL. That's the best way of using the partnership between the NFL and the XFL. And then at the right. same time, bringing in people from the IFL, because I didn't see a single person, and I it, I could just be mistaken, but I don't recall any people from the IFL coming in this season. And we need to figure out how to best utilize that one ne- next season as well. Yeah, there's a lot of different places that, that people can come in from. And I think the XFL is already looking at that, especially with the way that they do their their recruiting. But I do I do agree with you. The two-way contracts, if somebody goes up to an NFL squad, ends up on the practice squad for a certain amount of time, or doesn't, uh, you know, if they get cut, then the XFL teams probably should retain the rights to those players uh, for, for however long that contract goes. So I I think I think those discussions probably have already been had since they're planning the new XFL season. I would imagine there will be some news come out about that. I don't see them going flat into one-year contracts again next year, especially not with whispers of, of 2025 expansion starting to creep around. So, Yeah, yeah. speaking of 2025, come on, bring back Chicago. I want that <laughs> I-55 rivalry. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple teams move around this offseason. That's just my opinion. And as well as a lot of these identities of teams, such as players, will be gone because they're going to be moved around, if not the NFL teams. That's just my opinion, though. I'm I'm gauging my stuff off a spring ball from the past few years. Um, You know, the few guys that were always decent, they were snatched up very quickly. Yeah, all of the XFL teams the franchises are up for sale right now so when like so honestly if somebody were to buy houston it would be their prerogative if they wanted to move houston exactly exactly i don't know that they would because houston you know had you know increasing numbers this year in the previous iteration of the xfl they had they were i think second or third out of the eight teams in terms of viewers or not viewership but attendance so 
you know, Houston seems to be a positive trend and one that's pretty safe. Who knows if Orlando would stay in Orlando, right? Who knows if Vegas wouldn't go back to LA and become the Wildcats again? Who knows? So, uh, but that's more news stuff. I don't, <laughs> we didn't, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I, we didn't touch on that because I don't think it's actually really news, but uh, I mean, it is worth mentioning, you know, at, at the point that we're at right now. So, all right, fellas, let's move on. Jake, did you got, I see your hands up. Do you got anything else before we move on? Anything to leave us with? Good to go? Yeah, I'm good to go. Okay, just making sure. All right, guys, I appreciate the insights on that game as well as just discussing the future of the XFL and contracts. It's not really a conversation that we've had, so it's good that we're discussing it. And I love that we're all cordial. Good job. (laughs) It took everything we had. (laughs) Next up, let's discuss the D.C. Defenders. They took down the San Antonio Brahmas. Oh, they barely took them down. 29 to 28. That game came down to a missed field goal by the best kicker in the XFL. Guys, you got anything you want to share? You got froze. The freeze, the freeze timeout actually worked for once. And if we hadn't heard enough about the playoffs before, if San Antonio would have made it and Arlington would not have, there would have been a lot more people talking to uh, about that same, that very same thing, because San Antonio basically would have backed into it. It, it would have almost gone to the same amount of tiebreakers that. Uh, that the Seattle and St. Louis race went to San Antonio. The last couple of games really played for their playoff life. Like I was proud of them. They really came around on offense. They started putting things together. They got risky on defense. Their defense really stepped up in the, in the same vein that Houston's did and had a couple of scores. I mean, San Antonio looked like a very formidable team, you know, regardless of their, of their offensive woes overall, they had a couple of good moments. But regardless of those offensive woes, they they hung in there. They believed in themselves. Their coach believed in them. And they really gave the, the best team in the league a tough look. Now, Arlington did the same thing the week before in week nine, if you remember. And dang near won. They went to overtime. Barlow hadn't called that first time out. Then we would be singing a very different tune because that kick actually went in. So, you know... DC seems to have really fallen off and you know, I don't want to get into the, to the preview of the championship game uh, or the North championship game yet, but there's, I mean, there's some, there's some potential for shakeup and DC's got some things to figure out. What'd you think about it, Jake? Did you actually watch this one? I did not, but I will state one thing and I know it's going to, uh, probably offend some people in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, but guess what? It's got to be said. Between all people whose last name is Romo, despite the whiffed kick at the end of the game, John Parker Romo is still by miles, despite the fact that they play two completely different positions, he's still better than Romo, Tony Romo. Now you're trolling. <laughs> yeah. somebody's got to and uh what what better it be somebody who was originally from texas to troll the dfw no believe me i enjoy a fantastic troll in that sir i i want to see you say that more on more platforms (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, trust me, I, I troll enough of the MLS teams out of Texas, so. What did you guys think of the defense? And, or, well, you didn't watch, Jake, but Drew, yeah, I thought DC's defense looked pretty good compared to past games. They did. It's not very hard when you're dealing with an offense that operates at the level of San Antonio. San Antonio stepped up and made plays. The addition of Nick Hawley's been really big. It's been a catalyst for their offense. Now, granted, you know, it hasn't really hasn't really caused an offensive explosion per se, but they're a little bit harder to deal with. So, you know, DC stepped up and and did a pretty good job. They played good against, against Arlington too. They shut Arlington out for, for three and a half quarters, essentially, you know, uh, other than a couple field goals or, or other than I think it was nine points before that, that comeback started, but their defense played good, but I don't think it, it it played at the same level that they've played all year. Their defense, is, if nothing else, has been consistently average. Their offense has been really what's won them games. And that's a pattern that we saw in the original iteration, or not the original, but the, the last iteration of the XFL where offenses really came around late. And if you had a good offense early, then you were really in good shape. That's why Houston was really in good shape for as long as they were before the season got canceled. So it it was... Yes, it was kind of impressive, but taking into taking into effect the whole picture and who they were playing, I don't find it too terribly too terribly impressive. Ten four. What did you think about Jordan Tamamu? I thought he had a pretty good game, though. I mean, compared to past games, it was close enough that we were we didn't know what was happening, but we saw some pretty good play. So, I mean, I was impressed with DC. I'm still yeah. impressed with DC. I mean, Tamu is a smooth operator. He was a smooth operator in St. Louis the first time around. I mean, that can't be denied. I think their offense really became a well-oiled machine as the season went on. They've really found a formula that works. They've got playmakers that that do exactly that, and they do it at different times. You know, if one guy's having a bad game or isn't playing up to snuff, then a guy like Lucky Jackson will step up or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. So, that's the thing with DC is on offense they've got the pieces. They they are a chess team playing against checkers players. It's 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 pretty fun to watch. Their defense leaves a lot to be desired. So I got a question uh, for you guys. Um, I, you know we talked about McCarran and potentially his future plans after this season though with. So I might as well just go ahead and go right out with the Tomu thing. Do you think he goes back to the NFL? And if he does, do you think he plays backup? Or do you think he's going to ride pine to where it's a waste of his time? Or do we potentially see him in the offseason? Someone calls him up over at the USFL, which wouldn't be the first time he'd been there. Uh, so, I mean, so what are you guys thinking on that? I don't see him going USFL, I think. I think the XFL has has proof of concept of being a path to the NFL. I mean, you look at a guy like PJ Walker who went to Carolina, started four games this year, is still on an active NFL roster as a backup and making good money, making more than he would make in the XFL. I think Tayamu probably will get a, a solid look. I imagine he'll be picked up as some kind of free agent to a practice squad. You'll probably see that with Danucci as well. I don't see Danucci sticking around. I think he's going to chase the money. If there is any to be made when you throw 12 interceptions in a season, 
of 10 games, <laughs> but <laughs> interceptions aside, man, sorry. Every time I mention Danucci, I have to mention interceptions. It's like a bug in my brain. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's going to be a few quarterbacks that get looks. I think Tamu's one of them. I think he'll probably stick around on a on a practice squad for a little bit. But ultimately, I don't necessarily think his skill set translates to the style of game the NFL plays unless he goes somewhere like Washington, maybe, where he's going to have to run around and has an offensive coordinator that's used to a quarterback that runs around. Tamu usually is a little bit more of a pocket passer, but the kind of opportunity that he would get would probably be on a low, low end team that doesn't have a lot of protection for him. And I, I think the circumstances would have to be a little bit extenuating for, for Talmud to make it. He's a great talent. I just don't think that he's the style of quarterback that, that really could succeed in NFL systems. And you, you know what, you know what I mean? It looks like right now the Packers are looking for a quarterback since they just traded theirs off to, the New Jersey Jets, because that's where they're at. They, they don't have the right to call themselves the New York Jets. Uh, you know, like I said, Packers are hiring. Yeah, there's there's a lot of NFL teams, quote unquote, hiring right now. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing: is is Talmud's a competitor. If he gets a chance, he's going to give it everything he has. And if he goes somewhere that's low on the talent pool, like like maybe a Washington, because they've got Sam Howell, and then who? I don't think anybody there's not very many people that can that aren't Washington fans that can name who Sam Howell's backup is right now. Right. So, you know, there's opportunities. Don't really see. I don't see an opportunity that would be beneficial for Tiamu. Honestly, it, it, it could change after the draft, depending on how teams draft. But I don't know. Yeah, but at the same time, you never come out because because team. I mean, you look at what the Ravens built around Lamar Jackson it only took them a couple of years to build that and and Lamar Jackson I don't know he's very good I don't know if he would be successful in other offenses because of the level of detail that that Baltimore put into building that system around him so maybe Tayama would be that that same type of guy that would need that system built around him maybe he wouldn't maybe I'm completely wrong uh is just the way I see it and some of the struggles that Tayama had earlier in the season I think when you're playing against NFL defenses, it's really gonna it's really gonna drop down that production significantly. Yeah, I don't see him translating to a starter in the NFL in any degree. That's just me. He's already had the chance with the Chiefs, I believe, and a couple other teams. Yeah. But he would be a backup for sure. Uh going forward, we had Jack Cohn. He did pretty good. Um, what did he have? Uh, I lost his stats, my bad. Jordan Tamamu's stats, he had 22 attempts. He had 15 completions for 271 yards with two touchdowns and one interception. So that's a solid game for him. Nothing good, yep. nothing too bad. But anyway, fellas, let's move on to our next game. That's the Houston Roughnecks. They defeated the Arlington Renegades for a second time, 25-9. to That game was in Arlington. I enjoyed it, but then again, it's going to make for a rough playoff game. What you got, Drew? I don't think it was a clinic by any means. It, this was a weird game to watch. I don't know how it got the second most. I think it was the second most viewer show. I, honestly, I don't know how it wasn't in the cellar, honestly, especially knowing that San Antonio had lost to, to D.C. I thought both teams probably would play their starters and give it a full go. It seemed like all throughout the game, both teams were like sprinkle, like salt-based sprinkling starters into the into the fold and not 
Luis Perez was on the field for a while, not on the field for a while, back on the field. He played till the very end. I thought he got hurt on the last play. I maybe he was just sitting there because he was upset because he couldn't make a play. He was definitely slow to get up. Houston pretty much didn't start Silvers, and then that was it. That The rest of them were basically starters. They gave Tim Ward a start so he could play on defense and get back in playing shape. I think he's been back in playing shape for a little while. They were saving him for the playoffs. But uh, talking to to Coach Stewart, the defensive coordinator, before last week's game against uh, Vegas, they he was saying that Tim Ward was – uh, basically just getting back to able to protect himself. So I, I kind of, I believe coach Ward, when you're a defensive end, especially a, a big guy like that, those offensive linemen really like to come at you. So you've got to be able to defend yourself. So with a shoulder injury, you've got to really be careful when you bring somebody back. So, I th- you know, Tim Ward may have been ready for a while, but I think the, the coaching staff was protecting him a little bit too. So, but uh, weird game starters and non-starters playing i don't think either team i mean obviously houston seemed a little bit more into it than arlington did but overall it was kind of a throwaway game neither team wanted to i mean you heard luis perez in in one of the sideline interviews saying yeah like we're being very vanilla right now on purpose we probably want to save you know one of these plays or one of these calls i mean it it was very clear that there was gamesmanship going on but that some of the younger guys we're getting their opportunities or some of the, some of the guys that are lower on the depth chart. We're getting their opportunities in this game. I've seen, who was it? LB. Was that, was that our backup? That's the first time I've seen him on the field. Is that correct? Yeah. Caleb, Caleb LB out of Washington state. Yep. And then we had Jeremy Cox. I believe that was his name. That was actually a big performance for Cox. Like he, and that's what I meant by man among boys. Yeah. He looked really good. Uh, what did he have? I think 130 yards rushing which was also a game record for a Roughnecks running back. Surprising, huh? Yeah, but he had 70 yards in the first quarter. Wow. Yeah, it was nuts. So all in all, not a bad game. Um, We'll talk more about what we expect for next week. But, Jake, you got anything you want to add to this before we move on? Not necessarily. I I, I mean, yeah, I didn't exactly watch it. I did watch parts of it, but I didn't stick around for the whole game. But, uh... I think the outcome I probably wasn't exactly surprised about. Okay, let's review one more matchup, and then we'll have Jake Tribby joining us. Uh, he, he should be joining the call any moment, so don't be surprised. Let's talk about the Vegas Vipers. They did not stand a chance against the Seattle Sea Dragons on Sunday. They lost 9-28. to That game was in Seattle. To me, it looked like the Vegas offense just sputtered out and gave up. That's my opinion. I believe they could have put more points up, but it didn't really look like we wanted to be out there. What do you guys think? Well, the first the first half, I think Vegas Vegas came out hot, right? And and I'm gonna say something here that you know I've been I've been pretty pretty hard on Ben DiNucci as far as him doing some classless things. Vegas thought that this was a great game to come out and just trash talk Seattle before the game. And when you're dealing with a team that's that's lost a teammate, a brother, that's about as classless as it gets. More classless, in my opinion, than standing over somebody when they're knocked out. I mean, hot take, whatever you want to call it. Have some professionalism, have some class. Those guys were already dealing with a lot. You don't you just don't do that to people. But 
with that said, Vegas got their just desserts. They looked like crap on offense. It was, you know, their defense played great until they had been on the field forever and they failed again. Just, I mean, it was basically the story of the season for them for the most part. You could really tell that they were missing that their offensive tackle that, that had got hurt last week against Houston. McClendon, he started getting hit. He started making some rough decisions or having no time to make decisions again. The the defense really played their their butts off for C, for Seattle. The offense really started clicking in the second half. It looked like they were going to score 30, 40 points. Nobody really knew. But I think that Seattle probably knew that they had done enough to to secure their spot in the playoffs at that point. And really, we're just counting on their defense to hold on to it for them and, and trying to waste time on offense, play a little bit of conser- uh, conservative game, run some time down and, and get out of there with the dub. Now, do, did Ben Danucci, did he throw any picks this game? I'm trying to find his stats now as we speak. He threw one for sure. I think he threw two. That's going to be big for, for them coming up, um, regardless of who they play is, is his way to hand that ball over, in my opinion. This is a solid team in Seattle, and we've been saying it for weeks and weeks now. And in my opinion, they're one of my favorites for the championship. Yeah, me too. I, I think the biggest thing with with so if if you had to compare Seattle to a comic book villain, they're probably Two Face. Like Ben DiNucci is their best player, but also their biggest detriment in terms of turnovers. So. They're really going to have to play a squared away game against DC to to do well, but we'll we'll get into that here in a few minutes. Yes, sir, no doubt. Danucci he threw for 339 passing yards. That was his third 300 yard plus game this season, and also the most in the XFL. We'll see what happens, but I'm excited for the Seattle fans as well as the players that Jake should be joining us. Jake Tribby should be joining us any minute that we're going to discuss this week's matchups. It's going to be a little shorter since we only have four teams to talk about. Yeah, I think we pretty much touched on everything in terms of, of reviewing the games. Honestly, <laughs> we created more for the news section after doing the news section. So. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to edit that either. That's just where it is. No, for sure. I mean, it's good content. Anytime that you have something. I mean, when you have a season that was honestly, like objectively as good as this season was for the XFL. Such, such a good I mean it was a viewership success it was an attendance success in terms of overall attendance across the league thank you St. Louis you know carrying Seriously. over 30 percent of the uh, of the total attendance for the league is a huge deal no doubt no doubt Kaka, I'll give you all one so uh, I I will uh tell you since we kind of discussed it in brief uh I believe like when it comes to teams moving around for the next season I believe that Vegas had uh, um, pushed out their season tickets about the same time as St. Louis. So it does look like that they ended up having a two-year deal at Crapman Field. So unfortunately, it looks like we've got a whole new seasons of games to look for in the Toilet Bowl and have our second annual Toilet Bowl, hopefully second and final, so that potentially... They can end up playing at you if hopefully when it's over, they can either play at the facilities at UNLV or they can get a deal with the NFL and play in their facility. If they can't get a deal there, then, yeah, I could probably see relocation happening. 
Welcome Jake Tribby to the podcast. Jake is a writer of the year for Fantasy Sports Writer Association. He works for Fantasy Points. Jake, could you just share a little bit more about yourself before we roll into the game previews? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a staff writer for FantasyPoints.com, and I, you know, specialize mostly in uh, daily fantasy. So I write a lot about, you know, uh, DraftKings.com, the, the contests you can play on there, and some some betting stuff as well. Right now, obviously, a big focus on spring football, XFL, USFL, because that's what's in season. But I also do plenty of uh, NFL writing as well. well. We're glad to have your expertise, Jake. The people at home, I mean, we talk about betting. We don't really talk about fantasy aspects much, but both are useful to know. As well, you know, as we're coming through this game, there's a lot less going on in terms of matchups and things happening. So we appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it, guys. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's talk about the South Divisional Championship matchup. That's the Houston Roughnecks versus the Arlington Renegades. That game is Saturday, April 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern, and it takes place on ESPN2. Oh, in terms of the Roughnecks, it's been a little bit choppy for us on offense. We've talked about the defense being pretty good, but that offense is rough. In terms of the Renegades, their whole season has been rough. We can say a few good things about them, but we can't really highlight on too many positives. Drew, Jake, Jake, (laughs) what do you guys think about this matchup going forward? Certainly an interesting matchup. Um, I mean, it was it was very strange to me. This game didn't matter for either teams last week. And, you know, Arlington ended up playing their starters throughout and just couldn't get anything going offensively. You know, of course, they weren't showing much. I mean, we heard Luis Perez during the game say, you know, hey, you, you want me to avoid, you know, checking plays, adjusting plays at the line. And it was obviously a very simple attack. But um, this Houston defense, you know, second best in terms of points per allowed, only 18.2 per game. And by far the best defense in the league in terms of both PFF coverage grades and pass rush grades. So while the offense has certainly looked, you know, really choppy, the quarterback play has been been iffy for sure. Um, man, this Houston defense has been nothing but consistent. And it's hard for me not to like Houston, um, you know, straight up in this game. The betting markets are a little bit of a different story, given that, you know, they're already favored by six and a half. So you are paying a pretty penny if you want to want to back Houston there. But. Man, I really like them in this contest. I mean, Arlington's looked better with Luis Perez, but this still isn't an offense I'm particularly excited about. Granted, you know, they might be one of the few teams that can go toe-to-toe with Houston on the defensive side of the ball. I feel I feel pretty much the same way. Houston's offense has been in a, a funk ever since they played Seattle, ever since they lost John Trey Kirkland. You know, I've, I've covered it several times or mentioned it several times that that not having a deep threat when you're in a a run and shoot or air raid or whatever the case may be really takes the top off of that offense for for the defense and makes defending you a whole lot easier and I think we've seen that and there there may not be much that Houston can do about it Houston Houston can still score a few points but relying on their defense to score points is definitely not a way to get a, a championship one in terms of the XFL championship in terms of the South division championship, it may very well be enough to get, to get it done there. There's going to be some plays made by, by Arlington and by Luis Perez. Luis Perez has had a little bit more time in that system. Now he's probably got some uh, cards up his sleeve now that he's been there for, for close to a month. He probably feels a little bit more comfortable. Sal Canella is always a problem at tight end. 
in Houston. I think, at least in my opinion, I'm sorry, Coach Coach Reisig uh, for Houston, but uh, I, I think the linebackers outside of Ellerby and, and Beckett really have have not been a strong point, so to speak, for the for the defense. Uh, they've been a focal point in terms of scoring, but I don't think that they've been a strong point in terms of, you know, keeping coverage locked down. So I think Sal Canelo will probably get his, I think it'll be close for, for most of the game. Houston will, man, I I almost want to say I'm going to stay away from this completely. I I would imagine Houston's probably not going to cover just by virtue of not being able to score. I'm hoping that, that Silver's, was correct in talking about after the Vegas game that he hadn't practiced a whole lot and he was finally going to get back to practicing and things like that. Maybe that's the cure for the offense because he hasn't practiced since week five or six when he messed up his, his shoulder. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, maybe that's a little hopium that I'm pumping into the air there, but uh, you know, I, I think, I think Houston pulls it out. I don't think it's going to be any grand, you know, huge must watch game. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just don't see that happening. I think it's going to be a defensive struggle and Houston's going to come out on top. So. I I agree a lot with what Drew said. I, I do think for what it's worth, that there is a little bit of value to be had on the Arlington side of things, either Arlington plus six and a half, or you can get Arlington plus 200 on the money line there. I mean, as yeah, I, I have Houston futures to win the championship. Obviously I'm wearing a, a rough next hat. So um, I am a Houston backer, and that's not a bet I've taken personally, but like me and, you know, some of the internal numbers that we have at Fantasy Points handicap this game at, you know, closer to Houston being favored by four, maybe four and a half. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think there's something to be said for there being some value on the Arlington side of things, and this probably being a close defensive struggle. What's the uh, what's the overall point, the over-under? Uh, 41 for this game, much higher for the uh, North Championship, 48 and a half. So 41, we've seen this year, kind of a lower lower end of what a total would be in, in the XFL. Right. Yeah, no, so first uh, first several weeks, I know we were we were looking at a lot of mid 30s or high 30s scores. So they're <laughs> they're they're obviously not too too high on either team's ability to score. So I, I think that's right around correct. I don't know that I would touch that either. If I had to guess, it would probably be an under. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you guys, I mean, I know we've already touched on, you know, Silver's not practicing potentially being, you know, culprit there. But Houston scoring, um, you know, first four weeks, 31 points per game. Uh, since week five, though, only 21 points per game. Um, is there anything that, like, you guys have seen or, or could point to that would, you know, be the result of that? Because to me, it's really just felt like all quarterback play. Uh, quarterback plays really, really seemed as though it's fallen off since week five. But I'm curious if you guys are seeing anything different. Well, I think you're partially right. Well, by virtue of being 100% right, I think you're partially right there. Uh, so, like I was saying, losing John Trey Kirkland was a huge deal. Uh, it turns out Deontay Burnett really, at least the way that they've been calling plays, is not the deep threat that they need to to really open up the offense, right? I think that play calling a lot has been an issue. Uh, now, whether or not that's had to do with what Silvers was capable of because he was injured or what McDonald was capable of in terms of actually running the offense. We don't know. I was a little frustrated and, and Matt can attest to this uh, by a little frustrated. I mean, a lot frustrated when, when uh, McDonald played against, was it St. Louis? And it seemed like he, 
he basically was running the same stuff that Silvers was running. To me, I think I think it's a combination overall when you look at scoring of losing Kirkland and not really adjusting your play calling. Where they're still calling deep shots. Silvers has thrown several, several interceptions on deep shots just to try and take the top off of the defense. And you just don't have it. Uh, they've been, the past week or two, they've been a little bit more uh, forthcoming with trying to open up the deep play rather than, you know, force it to somebody and hope that they'll prevail. Uh, that comes down to scheme. I think there is some good coaching, especially uh, week nine trying to get those guys open uh, against against I mean teams are basically bracketing Deontay Burnett and le- leaving everything underneath so I think you've got to take advantage of that and you've got to run a lot of a lot of very specific really Houston's been getting beat by the zone so man defense Houston can tear apart that's what the air raid and all those offenses are meant to do the zone when you don't have a top threat you've got to run very specific plays it limits you and it it really reins you in so i think that's kind of what we're seeing it's a combination of, of play calling and just losing your best player yeah i think I, I think that makes a ton of sense really appreciate that insight yeah i agree there i was going to say injuries number one secondly being the scheming from those injuries we just don't have the personnel there for what they want to do and we really haven't adjusted in my opinion the few times we have we've seen some decent productivity for example like this week i like the run game Jeremy Cox had, what, 120 yards and two touchdowns or something? I mean, he, he did really good. And so Max Borgie has the opportunity there, as well as Bryson Aline, to to do some things on the ground. And as a fan and an analyst, I'd like to see them more active, whether it be in in read plays or, or just actually running the ball. Like, get them going, get them guys moving. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that I would agree with. I think the only problem for this week is that Arlington is by far the toughest run matchup in the XFL. Uh, PFF's highest graded run defense, and they're only allowing about 75 rushing yards per game. Um, you know, that makes the grounded pound, grounded pound approach a little tricky. But, you know, we saw him do it last week. I doubt, you know, Arlington played their starters and, you know, RV3 Jeremy Cox was running all over them. So, you know, maybe with Borgie back there, they could do even more damage. It's, it's hard to say, but that was also really... The only game we've seen all year where they were pretty aggressive running the ball. It was more of a spread to run approach rather than, you know, the typical pass first approach that we normally see. Um, it'd be interesting to you know see if they do recreate that in uh, in the semifinals here. And if you think back to the first game against Arlington this year, Max Borgie had a big game against Arlington, too, not just on the ground, but in the passing game as well. And the way I see the injury reports coming out, it seems like Sage Doxeter is is ready to come back on the on the offensive line. So that gives a little bit more of a road grader approach. It gets the offensive line back to normal and maybe that solves some of Silver's problems too. Because you know he it's hard to throw touchdowns when you're sitting on your ass. Having him back is going to be a big deal if he can come back. But I think I think Houston's done well adjusting at the micro level. I think macro, there's probably a little bit more work to be done. Maybe they've been sitting on some things, knowing that they could probably just coast a little bit. Who knows? I don't know. You're right. It's going to be tough to run on them, but it's going to be tough to pass on them, too. It's not, It's First off, it's a playoff game. You're, you're talking about guys that do have NFL talent. So it's it's not going to be easy, but I, I don't see the offense having some sort of explosion at all. Yeah, and that, you know, that probably plays into a little more of, uh, you know, potentially back in the under there. Um you know, 41 points. It's really hard for this, you know, to see this game being a shootout, especially when compared to, you know, a game like DC versus Seattle. Right. In terms of the Renegades, are there any names you guys are watching? Any, anybody specifically we need to be looking for? Perez and Canella. I mean, 
Perez and, if Perez and Canella can get something going and keep it going for, for a decent swath of the game, they've got a chance to knock Houston off. I mean, but it's it's going to have to be the offense. It, the defense can't win the game because Houston's defense is going to match them step for step if that happens. Yeah, I mean, I really think it's just it comes down to Silvers for me. I mean, if Silvers is on it, I mean, it, you know, there's just no way Arlington wins this game. I, I think that's the bottom line. You know, if Silvers plays like a lot of the games he's played these past, you know, four or five weeks, it's going to be, man, it's going to be a really close one. So, yeah, I think I think to me it's, it probably just comes down to Brandon Silvers and how well he's able to execute this passing game. Yeah, we've been we've been preaching that since what week two about Houston. I mean, so we're right there I, I with you, bro. Arlington's secondary is is not something to be messed with. They they showed that against Orlando. They showed that against DC. Those guys fly around and they make plays and they make them when they matter. So I I don't see any way around this being a close game. But I do think that if Arlington wins, they're going to have to get something going on offense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one thing that we've seen and that the betting markets have been very slow to pick up on is when teams go through one of these quarterback changes. I mean, we, we know from watching the league, it drastically changes the offense. But sportsbooks, you know, seemingly just price things as if there was no quarterback change. So that's been one of the biggest edges in, in betting so far this year. And I think the Arlington spread is is sort of reflective of that, where, you know, if you if you judge them on their entire body of work, you know, maybe a six and a half point spread makes sense here. But the offense with Luis Perez has just looked a lot better. I mean, even Perez on a, on a bad day has looked better no than, than Slaughter and Kevin Anderson. So, yeah, um, you know, I think I think that kind of sort of plays into the idea that there may be a slight edge betting on the Arlington side of things. For sure. No doubt. No doubt. Now, I know you talk a lot about the fantasy aspects, Jake. What I mean, are there any players on the low? Anybody cheap that you're looking at here? Yeah, one of the guys that I'm the most interested in here is actually Bryson Aline. I mean, two game slates are always really tricky and you're typically, you know, picking some guys here and there who, um, you know, aren't, uh, you know, your standard starters. But Aline's only, I think, 4200 uh, on DraftKings this week, which is a ridiculously cheap price for a guy who the team deemed so important that he only did kickoff returns last week. I mean, I don't believe he got a single offensive snap. It was all Jeremy Cox. And that, you know, that hurt me a bit in DFS because I was sort of anticipating, like, oh, they're going to bench Borgie, and then Aline will be the guy to get most of the work, and Cox will sort of rotate in a little bit. Um, if they like Aline so much that he, you know, didn't play at all in week 10, um, you know, I think him getting 30, 40% of backfield work in, you know, what is on paper a tough matchup, but could be a matchup that Houston could easily exploit, you know, given their previous success here. I think he's a really sneaky play for the two game slate. And then another guy who I'm interested in, who I've written up week after week, and he really hasn't done much since the Seattle game is Justin Smith. Um, you know, Justin Smith is a guy who the coaching staff just talks so highly about. He's our fastest receiver. He's one of our best players. I mean, preseason, A.J. Smith said that he thought he was right there with John Trey Kirkland and Deontay Burnett as the best receiver on the team. And we just really haven't seen it. At the same time, uh, he's out there for every route. I mean, he's running a route on every play. and he's, he's pretty cheap. And those are generally the guys that I like to look at in DFS, especially on such a short slate, you know, only four total teams this week. Um, so a guy who's going to be out there for every play, even if his target share isn't great, is certainly somebody I'm going to be looking at for for DFS. So I would say those would probably be my two main targets. Granted, I wouldn't be surprised if either guy burned me pretty bad this week. <laughs> now, scheme wise, I think you're you're probably onto something with Justin Smith because uh, against a big physical secondary that that likes to ball hawk and make plays, you really want to go to your bigger targets that are more secure. And Justin Smith's been that this year for Houston in, in tight spots. You know, he, he's one of the bigger guys. I think he's the only guy that's over six foot flat in Houston's receiver core. 
and uh, long rangy guy. You saw that one-handed catch, the kind of juggling catch that he made on the sidelines two weeks ago. Uh, the the guy, he's just solid. It, you know, he doesn't he doesn't make crazy you know over the top long scoring plays, but they go to him when when they're in a pinch. And against a secondary like like Arlington's, you definitely need guys like that, and you need to lean on guys like that. So I think you're probably onto something there. Yeah, and I mean, for DFS, like, he's the guy outside of John Trey Kirkland, who we know, you know, obviously isn't on the active roster anymore. I mean, he's the guy with the highest average depth of target on the team. So, um, you know, they really haven't connected on a ton of these deep shots so far. But at his price, you know, he's right around 4,500, I think. Um, you know, one 60-yard reception, and, you know, he pretty much gets you there. So, yep. um, yeah, definitely the kind of guy that I like to target in some of these larger field DFS tournaments. Appreciate that. Sounds good. Uh, Jake Leonard, before we move on, did you have any comments? I didn't want to move on unless you, you know, if you had something to say. I'll keep it straightforward because I'm just going to say it about the other game, too. That way I don't have to repeat it later. I would rather lick a frozen power pole than take any action on any of these games this weekend. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> understood sir understood okay let's move on to the north divisional championship game that game is the seattle sea dragons versus the dc defenders it's sunday april 30th at 3 p.m eastern and it takes place on espn i feel like this is going to be a shootout fellas and probably our best game of the week danucci tamamu we, we got some good names here and I, i'm really 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 excited about this matchup what do y'all think Jake, you can get after it, man. All right. Um, I actually, so I really like the Seattle side of things. Right now, Seattle is a three-point underdog, you know, total here, 40, 48 and a half. Um, you know, I think on a neutral field, Seattle's probably favored by a point, maybe two points. Obviously, you know, D.C. with a pretty strong home field advantage there. I was I was in D.C. for their, their week nine matchup against Arlington. I mean, it's just an awesome environment. At the same time, though, you know, Seattle – since I'd say probably about week four, week five, has been playing as, you know, probably the best team in, in the XFL. Finished the season, you know, first in, uh, in points allowed and obviously, you know, one of the best scoring offenses in the league. I think Danucci's looked a lot better these last few weeks, really struggled with turnovers early on, but, you know, it's looked significantly better. And, you know, Tayamu's playing well, too, but I do think this is a D.C. defense that is very exploitable. I mean, Craig Williams is an extremely aggressive defensive coordinator, but their pass defense by yards allowed has been you know the weakest in the XFL so far. So because they blitz so much, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Danucci to connect on some of these deep shots. And I mean, I like Seattle straight up, you know, plus 155 on the money line. I like Seattle plus three. I'm uh, I'm pretty much all over Seattle this week. Uh, yeah, I think they're they're being undervalued a bit in, in the betting markets and you know overall in the in the public side. Yeah, I, I think at least in my opinion, anytime you see a three point or under spread for a, for a home team that people aren't very sure what's going to happen. And there's a lot of potential for an upset. So looking at Seattle, obviously their offense has absolutely come alive after the first uh, couple of weeks of the season, it really kicked off against Houston. And then they just kept going from there. My problem with picking Seattle at least heads up is Danucci's mandatory interception. I mean, in terms of his game only, I love the way Danucci plays. I love the I love the the old riverboat gambler. Uh, you know, I don't care if I throw interceptions, uh, like Brett Favre type mentality. I'm just gonna gun it, right? Love that. But if that is your best player, you it, you're hard pressed to to really win a league unless you have a whole bunch around you. And 
I think the whole bunch around Danucci can't overcome his interceptions at some times. So that was the same story with, with Brett Favre a lot. Like the Packers had really good teams several, several years. He just made mistakes and that was who he was. So DC's defense definitely exploitable. They've been bang average all year. I mean, you saw the the offensive production that Orlando put up against them. Granted, nobody had tape on Dormady that week, right? That was his first step in. So it was a little bit kind of little bit of an exercise in the unknown. But overall, that defense hasn't been all that impressive. They, I mean, they definitely skewered Houston when we, when Houston went to DC, not a fun, I mean, it was a fun game to be at, but it wasn't a fun game to be at, <laughs> but you know they haven't they haven't really played out out of their out of their skins so to speak whereas Seattle's had several defensive performances where they've absolutely shut people down i mean they just tore vegas a new one as far as defense versus their offense it's happened several times i mean houston houston had a or houston was on a roll granted they lost john trey kirkland in that matchup against seattle early in the season but houston was on a roll to that point and they put the brakes on houston so I mean, I like Seattle's defense better. I just think that Danucci probably is thrown enough to to turnovers or bad decisions that that's going to come back to haunt them, and DC is going to end up winning. The home field advantage, I think, is too much. Uh, it'll cause some problems. Yes, it's a small stadium, but they are right on top of you in that stadium. That stadium is perfect for semi-pro football. So, uh, I mean, it, it's it's going to be tough sledding for Seattle, but this one has the potential to be a classic for sure. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm right there with you on the turnovers. I mean, 19 turnover-worthy plays for Danucci this year, seven more than the next closest player. I mean, that's basically two per game. I was at the Orlando Guardians game uh, when they played Seattle. I went with a buddy, and I told him, like, look, Danucci's a lot of fun to watch, but he's a lock to throw the worst interception you've ever seen at some point in this game, and (laughs) boy, did he. So, um, yeah, that's the wild card, you know, is that Danucci's – Probably the most exciting quarterback to watch, and he makes a ton of great plays downfield and with his legs. But, man, those fumbles, those interceptions, it makes it tough. Yeah, I was just going to note, these teams both are leading in almost every stat amongst offense. You got Ben DiNucci, number one, Jordan Tamamu, number two. In rushing, you got Abram Smith, one. And then uh, receiving, you got Jacor Pearson, best pass catcher in the league, in my opinion. In terms of who we got to win, let's talk about that. Jake, since you're the guest, you said you got Seattle on this? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big-time Seattle backer this week. Last week on um, the Fantasy Points XFL breakdown, a DFS, you know, mostly DFS show that I do with uh, Chris Wecht, um, you know, we sort of guessed the spreads of what we thought, you know, some of these hypothetical playoff matchups could be. I thought Seattle was actually going to be favored. I thought it was going to be Seattle minus one at worst to pick them. So the fact that I can get Seattle plus three here makes it a pretty juicy bet to me. I don't know. If I'm being honest, I'm definitely not spending any money on this one. But just the just the feeling that I get, I feel like it's going to be something like a 38 to 33 game. It's going to be a shootout. I think D.C. comes out on top just because Tiamu's not going to throw the ball to the other team. Doesn't seem to be a trend that he has. And you can't say that much for the other team. You know, I think it'll probably turn out Somewhat like the the last game, but I think DC probably will separate a little bit. We saw how DC played the last two weeks, so we don't know if they've been sitting on anything or if they're really having problems. It, you know, it could go either way, and that that's definitely why I'm not touching it for sure. Yeah, there's a few things occurring in DC. I saw they got rid of Armstead. Wasn't really sure why or what happened. Did you guys hear anything on that? I did not. Yeah, I don't. I don't have anything on that. I did think it was a very strange move to make right before the playoffs. No doubt. Just wanted to check in. Now, let's talk about Ben DiNucci before we roll off. Uh, 
20 pass touchdowns for the season and 13 interceptions total. There it is, fellas. Like I said, it's it's a roll of the dice what you're going to get with, with Danucci, but you can damn near every single time hit snake eyes on an interception. Like, he's... It's going to happen. He has, for what it's worth, he has been a lot better. Only four turnover-worthy plays since week seven. Um, and he's by far PFS highest-graded passer uh, since week seven. Jordan Town is actually second there. So I think he has gotten better. I think he's gotten a little more comfortable in the offense. But, yeah, I mean, he is pretty pretty damn close to a lock to throw a pick this week. Now, from from an analytical standpoint, him and, him and Juden Jones have been at odds several times this year when it comes to play calling. I mean, uh, June Jones, obviously being the godfather of, of that style of offense, really is, you know, largely set in his ways, I would say, probably. But it, it does say a lot about Danucci's abilities that he's able to question the, the coach like that openly, and they're able, able to have that open dialogue. I think that does bode well for for them from a chemistry standpoint. And I think that's really what, what you've seen develop, especially over the latter half of the season. One indicator of that really was when, when Seattle started the season, they were doing the same thing. Houston was two years ago when June Jones was the head coach was going for three every time when they would score a touchdown and that stopped. They started going for two and one and started being a little bit more productive because of it. No doubt about it. Danucci's a really good quarterback and, and you're definitely looking at, at two of the three best quarterbacks in the league playing in this game. Those interception numbers, even, I mean, even, even over the, uh, the last, or even since week seven, he's still, he hasn't, he thrown an interception in every game except for one. Or was it every yeah. game? Uh, I believe it's every game. Five total interceptions. Next closest player is Dormady with three. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm mean, still been struggling with those interceptions. But it's nice to see the turnover-worthy plays come down a little bit. You know, I do. Th- and I do think he's been playing better these last few weeks. So, no and I mean, like you said, he's, you know, right there with A.J. McCarron as, like, the only quarterbacks in the league who have no benching risk at all. Like, the team has a lot of faith in him. And I think he's he's proven that that faith wasn't misplaced, you know. For sure. In terms of fantasy aspects, Jake, what what do we got here? I, I said Pearson. I figured he would be a hot name, but I mean, in terms of the cheap guys, what do you think? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think the Seattle backfield is pretty interesting here. I mean, I kind of thought we would see by this point in the in the season, Philip Lindsay develop into more of a bell cow, sort of like we saw Morgan Ellison um, earlier in the year, but the team doesn't really seem to care for Lindsay a ton. I mean, he's only averaging about two and a half yards per carry. We've seen uh, Charlie Tamopoa, I hope I'm saying that right, that the RB tight end hybrid, he's getting like a good amount of their backfield snaps. TJ Hammonds, though, is a guy that I'm, I'm still pretty interested in. Um, only 4,000, and I mean, like, he's he's averaging like six and a half yards per carry. I believe he leads the league in yards per carry. He has no contact balance. I mean, he just flies straight back as soon as he gets hit. Um, but he's been a pretty exciting player for them. And then the other thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on here is I still don't think we have full uh, route data. I'm waiting for uh, PFF to update so I can update some internal stuff. Um, But I really want to check like how they broke down these routes on the outside, because that's something we've seen like, you know, kind of an unpredictable rotation there between Josh Gordon, Jawan Green, Damian Willis and Jordan Vesey. Um, You know, some of these guys will will sort of peak around a 75 percent route share. We've seen weeks, you know, Gordon was in the doghouse for a little bit. We've seen weeks where he was down to like 30, 35 percent. It seems like Gordon's come back into favor. Um, and a guy that I've been targeting for many weeks is Jordan Vesey. You know, to me, it feels like the Seattle offense, especially in the red zone, like a third of their playbook is just throwing these these fade routes up to guys like VC and Gordon because they're just these big bodies on the outside. It seems to be kind of a core tenet of June Jones offense. So 
I've always really liked VC because he gets a lot of downfield targets and he gets a lot of red zone targets. Not too much outside of that. You know, you can bank on Blake Jackson or Jabor Pearson getting more volume, but uh, VC gets a lot of those high leverage targets that, that you really like to see. And then, you know, Damian Willis last week didn't get a ton of run because he was coming off an injury, um, but he's super cheap, only 3,300. So that'd be another guy that I'd look at, assuming, you know, he manages to practice and all that this week and, um, you know, is active ahead of the finals or semifinals, I should say. I think I think it's interesting you mentioned Philip Lindsay because if you watched Philip Lindsay in Denver, he was never never really like a a, a good power runner, right? He he seemed like a a piece to a spread offense that really hadn't developed in terms of offense. So uh, Philip Lindsay coming in and not really taking over the game, I think, kind of makes more sense to me. At first, I thought he was going to step in and take over just because he had been a fixture in the NFL for a while with a team like Denver. You really look at his body of work in Denver, and he was never he was never a guy that was going to open up the pass by himself by running the ball, right? Regardless of the scheme that he was behind, and Denver ran both zone scheme and and gap on down type stuff as well. So it's it's not as surprising to me that that other guys like the they're ha- giving handoffs to the tight end running back hybrid uh, guy. It it makes a lot of sense to me that they're kind of spreading out those touches. And, and that's been a hallmark for Seattle all season is spreading out those touches. Same with D.C. I mean, you're you're when you're analyzing percentage shares of catches, that means there's a lot of catches to go around. So uh, this is going to be a lot of fun to watch, I think. Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes it, you know, tough as a fantasy analyst, but probably more, you know, wide open overall for fantasy. It's just the fact that they spread the ball around so much. I mean, we've got a very clear backfield rotation here um, combined with, you know, pretty, pretty flat target shares across the board. I mean, obviously, you know, Jacor Pearson and Blake Jackson earning the majority of targets. But I mean, you know, you've got six receivers who are, you know, legitimate threats to, you know, post a tournament winning fantasy score. And, you know, another guy that I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on here is, Brendan Knox, who's activated off IR last week, ended up being inactive for the the week 10 game. But we saw him, you know, act as the lead running back in this offense in, you know, weeks one. I believe he got hurt week two, um, which enabled Morgan Ellison to sort of take over. If he's active, I mean, Lindsey is like totally dust. Like Lindsey won't probably won't play at all. Lindsey might be inactive if Brendan Knox is active. Um, And Knox is a guy that I feel like has just been, you know, totally forgot about in a lot of XFL fantasy circles, which probably means that his ownership would be super low. Um, you know, if he's if he's actually active this week. So that's something I'll be keeping a close eye on is, um, yeah, does uh, uh, Seattle go into this game with both Knox and Lindsay or, or just one of those guys? Because I imagine there's probably only room for one. What did you say the the over under was in this game? You said it was 48 and a half. Yeah, 48 and a half. I've seen 48, 48 in some places, 49 in others. But yeah, 48 and a half, I think, is about the middle there. I don't know. To me, that seems really low, but that almost makes me wonder if Vegas knows something that other people don't. I mean, when when there's a line that low between two of the best offenses in the league, then something seems to be up. It's almost like they're inviting you to take the over. So, yeah, I mean, I think you could argue it both ways. You know, I think typically in the NFL, like when we see these divisional rematches where teams are playing each other for the third time in a season, I, I think, you know, odds makers typically lean towards the under there. Um, because they know, you know, these teams are familiar with each other. They might put up a good defensive battle. And you could also argue, you know, uh, Seattle's the only team all season that's held D.C. to under 20 points. That was in week two. 
Um, at the same time, though, the last time these teams played, they combined for like 55, and they're the two highest scoring offenses in the XFL since week six. So I, I'm not taking a side on the total. I think 48, 49 is, is about right. Uh, but I do think you could pretty easily argue it either way that it's either, you know, five points too low or a couple points too high. And that's that's another good point you bring up that I hadn't considered was this being the third time that they play each other and and how that actually looks at, at this, you know, if you want to call it semi-pro level with with NFL talent versus at the NFL level with with real NFL talent. Does it? I mean, does it does it have that big of an effect as it normally does in the NFL games? Yeah, I'm, that's the thing is I'm I'm really not sure. It's hard to say. And it's so different than the Arlington Houston matchup, because, I mean, we saw Arlington and Houston obviously played last week, but neither team was really trying super hard. Right. And then they also met earlier in the season, I want to say somewhere between week one and week three. But Arlington didn't look anything like the current version of Arlington because they didn't have Luis Perez. So it's hard to really like look back on the previous Houston Arlington matchups and gain much gain much knowledge from how they played each other. But I think, you know, I'm I'm probably going to go back tomorrow and rewatch some of these old Seattle DC games, because I think there's probably a a good amount you could learn about how these teams want to play each other from those two contests, because, you know, they're pretty much the same team from from when they played those games. Appreciate that info, Jake. All right, fellas. Well, that's going to sum it up for the game previews for this week uh, we appreciate you jake Tribby, for coming on greatly appreciate it expertise is always welcomed and needed so thank you sir yeah thank you so much for having me really appreciate the opportunity guys we welcome you so anytime you want to come on or stay on you come on brother all right let's move on to the power rankings drew can you give us our xfl insider power rankings for this week it's going to be pretty quick um i'm looking at more body of work for the season since we are going into the playoffs you know it's a a little bit of a a season wrap up if you will but i'll be pretty quick about it number one i got dc number two i got seattle number three i got houston number four i got arlington number five i got st louis i'm just kidding jake i i had to (laughs) i had to troll you a little bit (laughs) no uh, so so uh you know dc i think still obviously very very firmly in number one spot seattle at number two just because they they did take care of business against st louis and then took care of business the last week of the season as well uh St. Louis I do have at number 3 I still have them as a better team than Houston. Uh, they they beat Houston uh in Houston stadium and it it wasn't really a super competitive game. So uh, I think Seattle or St. Louis rather is very clearly better than Houston and then I have Houston at the number 4 spot. Uh, Arlington I've got at number 5. It was very close for me between them and San Antonio because San Antonio really came on down uh, down to the wire. Uh, really, honestly, both teams came on down to the wire playing really good against D.C. in the last two weeks, uh, just unable to pull it off on on both both uh, squads. You know, uh, Arlington had that overtime game where they lost basically on the last the last overtime try. And then San Antonio made a field goal, but it was frozen. They, they had the timeout called right before that, and then he missed the follow up. So, uh, you know, a little bit of bad luck. I don't think it really would have changed too terribly much unless San Antonio came through and made the. Uh, playoffs in that scenario but yeah Arlington five San Antonio six Vegas at seven I think it 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 really is something that that coach Smith said for Vegas after the Houston game is he thought that they had the most talent 
top to bottom when the XFL started, if you looked at the roster on paper. They had guys like Vic Beasley. They had all of that talent at wide receiver. And even with a no-name guy like – or not a no – I won't say a no-name, but with a, a lesser-known guy in Bidette coming around. I mean, the talent on Vegas's roster is obscene, and it, it's – I don't think it's concerning that they – couldn't really put it together. It's just interesting why they couldn't put it together. I, I would, it would be, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in some of the coaches meetings and things like that, but I do have them at seven. And then Orlando, they tried to get off the bottom. I think they made it off the bottom one week and uh, they they just couldn't sustain it. I, I think it was a big learning curve for, for coach Buckley uh, and that staff especially dealing with a lot of the the mentalities and egos and stuff like that early in the season, having a little bit of a culture problem and, and really they did a good job at reining that in though. They played a lot better as the season progressed. They just were not one of the better teams in the league. So they, they definitely stayed at the bottom. So quick recap is DC at one Seattle at two St. Louis at three Houston at four Arlington, five San Antonio, six, Las Vegas at seven and Orlando at eight. Easy work right there, Drew. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sorry I doubted your your skills. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up, let's talk about the AmbushSports.net Players of the Week. Of course, this week in offense, we had A.J. McCarron, 429 total yards with six touchdowns. The man was on fire. Looked good. He played the best he could to get his team in the playoffs, but it failed, unfortunately. Defense should have stepped it up for the man. But regardless, hell of a game, hell of an athlete. I really wouldn't be surprised if he isn't the MVP, and that's my personal opinion. Absolutely. I mean, how many times did he win our – I need to get better with our internal stats here. He won player of the week for us like four times. I mean, he's far and away the best quarterback in the league. I don't think it's remotely close. Uh, you know, Tamu could have an argument for some weeks, but just body of work, AJ McCarron, easily the best quarterback in the league. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with that. I think McCarron was just lights out. I mean, just from watching the games, I I thought he maybe played one bad game all year. I mean, he was just remarkably consistent, and I think that's something you know you saw across the league was a lot of inconsistency with quarterback play. Even the guys who we would consider some of the better XFL quarterbacks, like Tamu or Danucci, just vastly more inconsistent than a guy like McCarron. And I mean, how awesome is it that he's, you know, turning down practice squad deals and stuff like that so that he can sling the rock in the XFL, right? Definitely. That, that's the kind of wholesome stuff that you like to see. That's what football is all about. Yeah. And it makes him like an incredible ambassador for the league. Like I'd be, you know, he's going to be the face of the league for years to come, assuming he, you know, doesn't get the big bucks again to play in the NFL. Yeah. I don't see him chasing a big contract. So like you said, I think he'll be around for a few years, no doubt. He can really lead a franchise into a new fruition. And that's, what's nice about him. The guy is a quarterback in real life and in his professional life. So appreciate you, McCarron. So it was actually more than 420 yards, correct? (laughs) 429 (laughs) is what I have. It's like, it's like, damn, if it would have been 420, it's like I did in the chat. It's like 420 plays it. That, I mean, it, I, I, you know, it's the fact that, you know, he, he passed for that many yards and then blew in already an existing record that Danucci, what, was it Danucci or Dormany that had five? It was but, Dormany. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dor, Dormany for, so for 
McCarron to make a league record in the final game of the season, despite not making the playoffs. I think that that says something. And I agree with you guys. I mean, there's, there's just, there's just no way that anybody else could even you know, even get the uh, MVP honors for the year. I mean, it, it has to go to McCarron because obviously he didn't throw as many uh, interceptions as Danucci. So, yeah, that's a much different competition. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the defensive player of the week. We got Devontae Beckett with the Houston Roughnecks. He's a linebacker. If you don't know him, I'm sure you know him after the last game he was in. Uh, the man had six tackles on the week, two tackles for a loss, one interception, and one touchdown. He looked good, and he just provides another piece in this Houston defense that we keep seeing show out week on week. Devontae Beckett for the last three weeks has been an absolute spark plug on defense. I mean, he's been he's been covering people, and I know I said that that was a weak spot for the for the defense was linebackers and coverage, but man, Devontae Beckett's been on absolute tear. He's got a couple of touchdowns, several forced uh, forced turnovers. the The guy is he seems unstoppable. He's everywhere that the ball is, and I don't know if that's by design or what. But the man is just he's playing like his hair is on fire and it's a lot of fun to watch. I think he is probably one of the defensive player of the year candidates. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that he would necessarily win. There's several defensive backs that are probably in that in that conversation, Uh, especially I think it's Michael Joseph out of D.C. has has had a huge season. But in in terms of linebackers, I think Tavante Beckett's season has been definitely up there. Uh, in, in statistics yeah i've got 34 solo tackles 29 assisted so it's pretty good he matches with ellerby though on this houston defense they have the same amount of solo tackles interesting enough yeah beckett i mean beckett's just been awesome he's one of the guys who really pops when you watch the houston defense and that uh that defensive touchdown he scored last week actually ended up winning me a decent bit of money so that was uh <laughs> that, was, that was a great gift right there can we ask what how much did you win just just curious so it was it was only for the single game contest for the houston arlington games and with the non-prime time games the you know the prize pools are, are typically pretty small so it was only it was only i think a three thousand dollar prize pool with 1k to first uh but i did end up you know beating out a bunch of luis perez teams because i played i played a ton of houston defense in my in my captain spot there because i figured arlington would play all their backups that ended up being wrong but i still ended up winning because the houston <laughs> defense just shut them down so so hard so um, oh and that team had jeremy cox too which was uh you know he was the highest scoring fantasy player in the ah, contest nice. which, uh, yeah, Good so that was, that was an exciting, exciting uh, defensive touchdown for me, for sure. Jake Leonard, what you got? Not much. I think his performance speaks for itself. That's yeah, not his boy. He's not going to tell us he had three more tackles than he actually had. <laughs> <laughs> Blazing. <laughs> Well, fellas, that about wraps up the show. I appreciate everybody today coming on, speaking, uh, spending your time with us tonight. I want to say thanks to our special guest, Jake Tribby, as well as the co-host, Drew Wells and Jake Leonard. been a great year so far. Thank you guys all for coming in. I look forward to more XFL football. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to say uh, thanks to you, Jake, too. Normally, uh, normally I'm carrying the burden for the for the betting and stuff like that good to have an actual expert in house uh, to distract from my my vast failures this year <laughs> yeah really really appreciate you guys having me on i mean it, 
it's been a really fun show and I just I love talking XFL. I mean, this stuff is a, is a ton of fun. It's an honor to be able to, you know, write articles and, and talk about it. And yeah, really appreciate you guys having me on. I thought this was great. Well, guys, before we hop off, shout out your socials, please. Tell us where to find you. Then I'm going to say some thank yous and salutations and we'll hit the road. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Tribby. I mean, that's where I post pretty much everything nowadays. And all my articles are available at fantasypoints.com and pretty much all the NFL offseason stuff I do, plus the XFL stuff and USFL. Uh, it's all free. So, yeah, check out fantasypoints.com if you want to read some great free fantasy football content. There you go. Free is my favorite price. <laughs> uh, so, Drew Wells, you're a loyal and enduring co-host. So, uh, Twitter is my primary means of communication uh, when it comes to the XFL. You'll find me at Ambush Sports H-O-U for Houston. At Ambush Sports H-O-U. All right. You can find me on Facebook, Jake Leonard. Uh, Twitter uh, at Jake Leonard um, J-R-N. See, I almost, I almost did a, a, um, yeah, a Drew. It's like, no, that ain't right. Yep. Um, so outside of here, I'm I'm probably be uh, kind of doing a little bit of a transition from XFL to MLS since I'm the departmental e- editor over that uh, it for Ambush Sports. So obviously later tonight, I've got to get uh, results in from uh, St. Louis City's uh, Lamar Cup Open Cup against uh, Omaha. Get that uh, ready to go. Um, and then start because I'm way behind on the MLS stuff. Uh, so I'll be switching over that way, reporting on any off-season transactions that may happen, new contracts for the XFL when they become available. But as for now, going to start transitioning to MLS. And maybe I might write of any news that may come out of uh, Premier League. And obviously – Shout out to Wrexham for getting promoted to the FL. They're no longer languishing in uh, the National League. So I'll probably be writing a little bit about that as well. Outside of Ambush, I uh, run my own news outlet called Heartland Newsfeed. You can find out more about that at heartlandnewsfeed.com. Yeah, it's not a, it's not usually a great place to plug uh, soccer or, or uh, world football when you're talking about football heads here in the States, but it's an exciting time to get into soccer if you're not already. There's a lot going on both internationally and domestically here in the States. So uh, I can, I can kind of back Jake on that. I personally follow Nashville SC. Uh, Those guys are, are, have a solid team, but there's a lot of solid teams in the MLS and there's a lot of MLS teams. So it's easy to link up with the squad. So do your research, read about them and, and tune into some good TV. And uh, let let uh, let's be fortunate that neither one of our teams are in the current condition of Kansas City right now. <laughs> Cellar dweller. I am Matthew Tyler. This is the XFL Insider Podcast. You can find me on any social network, streaming platform, whatever. This is our wonderful show. We do it for the love, and we appreciate everyone that listens and just keeps up with what's going on in the XFL. I want to thank AmbushSports.net. They've helped us out a lot. That has given us the ability as media to provide coverage at games, in games, and receive information when it first comes out. So thank you, Ambush Sports. also want to thank XFLBoard.com. They put us on their website, show us off, 
as well as that they they generate a lot of discussion over there and so it's a good place to be it's a good place to check out just give them a give them a check out and and tell us what you think as always we appreciate you listening we appreciate all our guests coming on and we really look forward to this divisional matchup week going into it drew and i will be there as media coverage we look forward to it as well as the champion game championship game regardless of the houston outcome so we look forward to being there and providing coverage for everyone at home what you got drew a whole lot to look forward to with a houston win not a lot with a houston loss (laughs) (laughs) amen at least we'll get to check out the alamo (laughs) do some sightseeing you know have something to remember yes sir but otherwise it's been great i thank you all for coming thank you fans for listening We look forward to our next episode after the Divisional Championship game. And for me, that's it. So long. Enjoy, people.